0: I'm John Hall. This is Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. This week, I'm back in the greater Asheville, North Carolina area and stopping in to Zebulon Artisanales to talk with founder, brewer, and all-around doer, Michael Karnowski. We're going to talk about date-coding beers, history, the small brewery life, and what the future might hold. But first, I'm happy to say that NZ Hops is a proud sponsor of Drink Beer, Think Beer. Harvest has officially ended in New Zealand, and there are exciting hops to choose from, including Nelson Savin, Matuika, Rewaka, and the newest hop in the lineup, Nectaron. The white wine, stone fruit, and tropical fruit notes layered with pine, citrus, and herbal notes offer a range of flavors unlike any other growing region in the world. Learn more about what they can do for your beers by visiting nzhops.co.nz or finding NZ Hops on social media. We're also brought to you by Brees Malting. Brees has been malting barley for 145 years and the fifth generation of family ownership is currently leading the company. But the values have always remained the same, producing the highest quality, most consistent malt and working directly with their customers to help them succeed. From pilsners to porters and everything in between, Brees offers the finest handcrafted malts, extracts, and adjuncts to help you brew the perfect beer. Visit briefs.com or visit their social media channels to see and to learn more. This show is made possible by their support, and I hope you'll give them a closer look. And also, a reminder to check out beeredge.com for articles, episodes of this podcast, as well as the one hosted by Andy Crouch, and to sign up for our newsletter. Also, check out the This Week in Rauch Beer group on Facebook and follow our pages on Twitter and Instagram. And Defend Pilsner now also has a a home on social media, so you can check that out and join the conversation. And you should maybe check out our merch page in the coming days for some cool stuff. You know, at least I think it's cool. That's beeredge.com slash merch. And if you like the show, please remember to subscribe and to leave a review. It really does help other people find the show. So, a few weeks ago, I headed down to Asheville, North Carolina for a few days to help out with photography on a new book I've been working on. And I didn't have a lot of time for social or other visits, but I made it a point to make my first stop in the state, Zebulon Artisan Ales. Mike Karnowski is the man behind the brewery. It's a small haven he started after a career brewing for others, and a career that started off running a homebrew shop. Here he does things his way, but also with historical accuracy. Over the years, he's worked with beer historians to release period accurate beers that really offer a snapshot in time and reveal long forgotten flavors and to showcase how beer has evolved. A few weeks ago on the show with M Souter and Don Tess, we were talking about date coding beer styles and that's something Mike is doing. You'll even have a chance to try them for yourself soon enough and I'll tell you more about that after the interview. We sat down in this tap room at his bar on a day when he's usually closed. It was a brew day, and he'd already been at it for hours. Here's our conversation. So we're in your brewery on a day when you're transitioning from brew days to being open for a tap room again. Right. It seems exhausting to sort of like living dual lives. Or a dual space, I guess.
1: Yeah, it, it's... It's pretty ridiculous, really. Um, But, you know, as as basically a mom-and-pop brewery in a 1,400-square-foot building, it's the only way it can be. It has to either be a tap room or a working brewery, but it can't be both. You know, people come in on Friday and Saturday, and they're like, why aren't you open throughout the week? And they just don't (laughs) understand that if you come in here on a Monday or Tuesday, it's just chaos. You know, there's hoses everywhere, there's tanks being cleaned, there's caustic and acid everywhere. And it just, there's no way I can have people in here. And so it, it's the only way it could be, you know, unless I, you know, people are always ask me, why don't you expand? Why don't you get another place? And I'm just not that kind of businessman. I've always been a mom and pop uh, businessman. We had a, a homebrew shop in new Orleans for 13 years, yeah. my wife and I, and it was just her and I and no employees for 13 years, six days a week. And it is, I mean, it, it burns you out, but Once you have employees, it adds a whole level of stress and paperwork and financial burden that I'm just not willing to take on. I talked to a lot of uh, brewers that started, you know, my size and then expanded. And they're like, man, I, you know, once you start getting the employees, everything just becomes chaotic. You know, the the bartenders are stealing from you. The, you know, uh, you know, they're not showing up and you're trying to, you know, you know organize three, four, five employees to be there. And it's just too much. I, it, 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 there's two types of, of stress. One is a stress where you have a bunch of people working for you and the responsibility uh, of, of you know paying them and uh, organizing them. And there's the stress of being a one-man brewery where everything's on your shoulders. And I just decided to take that stress of being a one-man brewery um, and just try to keep it as small as I can to, to minimize the amount of, uh, of stress in my life.
0: That, that's got to take like a conscious effort, though, to do, because in the craft beer world and the small beer world for 40 years now, it's been start small, grow big. Growth, growth, growth. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so like, it, it has to take some sort of mental commitment as well as, you know, like personal commitment to say, okay I'm, I'm happy with this like 1400 square feet like two days a week open to the public like this is this is good for me and, and, and I, I wonder how many people stop and think about like what's actually good for them as opposed to what they think the world is their definition of good for
1: them. Well, I don't think it's the world. I think it's their their, their uh, investors, you know? Also I think that, the trouble yeah. is starting too big where you have partners and investors, and that almost always leads to trauma later on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. I, I, I I've watched a lot of breweries follow that growth, growth, growth pattern. And some it works for, like burial. I remember when they started off with just a little one and one and a half barrel system yeah. back in the day. And it was, it was super cute and fun to go to. And they just kept, you know, parlaying that into new places, new places. And they've grown, you know, organically. And, uh, I respect what they, they do, but I have no desire to do that. And I've seen a lot of breweries try to do the growth, 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 and it ruins them, you know, getting second locations, third locations to try to make enough money to keep it working. And then it just all collapses, and um i just think staying small is a legitimate option for a brewery it just seems almost unamerican to do so
0: yeah and uh, yeah that's that's sort of uh, all of the i think the newer generations of craft brewers though who came in they saw the success of Sierra Nevada and when you drive down to Mills River from here it's like holy shit that is you know, that's what a billion dollars can buy you that's you know and there, and there's this sort of you know American Gordon gecko you know want kind of kind of factor um, but I, I don't know the Brewers that I seem to talk to that seem the happiest are the ones that can see their entire business from standing in one place in their brewery and there's a satisfaction that comes with that it's like owning your first house and seeing your land
1: right yeah I mean there's a lot of brewers who you know, start a brewery, and then five years later, they aren't brewing anymore. They've got a brewer that brews for them, and they're just kind of pushed to the back room where they're ordering and filling out invoices and things like that. And the only re I mean, that just doesn't sound appealing to me at all. The only reason I opened a brewery was to have a creative outlet for me to to make beer. That's first and foremost the reason I opened this. Second was to get out of a brewery that I was having a lot of personal problems with the uh, the people that work there. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, that's something like 90% of all people quit their jobs, not because they hate the job. It's because they hate the people that they're working with.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, I, I've, I've been at places. Mm-hmm. Um, are there, you've owned, you owned your own business beforehand and then you went to work for other people. Um, when you started this. It was almost, you know, not a second career, but it was, you know, and I hesitate to even use like third act kind of thing because that makes you seem really old, which, you know, I am
1: old (laughs) and this is probably my third and final act.
0: When you started this though, did you think about how to wind it down? Or did you think about like Like an an exit exit plan? Yeah.
1: Um, Not, not, not really. I mean, I got this place going for 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 not a lot of money. I think a, a little over a hundred grand. Okay. Um, just and that was just my own money, um, no investors, no partners. So, my feeling was always like worst case scenario, I can just sell it all and make most of my money back, and I won't be you know broke or I'm not not mortgaging my house. Um, so yeah, my exit strategy was always like. I can probably sell everything for as much as I paid for it and get out even, even Steven. But it was never like build it up to something that will be taken over by ABN Bev and I can go, you know, retire in Spain or
0: something. I I, I guess I I didn't phrase that the right because I was thinking more not necessarily like building it up to get a a larger paycheck, but like is there a, a point that you think you would ever get to where you're like, okay, this has been fun you know, time to turn it, turn off the lights and, 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 and walk away. Like, are there, like, there's gotta be like professional benchmarks that you want to hit so that you're not just that guy in the back room ordering stuff and pushing buttons and that, and that kind of thing. Like there's gotta be happy pursuits. And if you get to the end of that.
1: Yeah. I try to have projects that, that, that are meaningful to me and those kind of keep me going through the year. Um, I mean, we can talk about this upcoming one we've got. I, I want to talk, yeah, with Ron Pattinson, mm-hmm. the, the historical beers. Yeah, um, but overall, you know, it's I, I definitely have gone through minor depressions owning a, owning the brewery, um, and I th- I've thought a lot about getting out many times. Just 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 uh, burned out, uninspired. Really, uh, not liking the direction that craft beer is moving in. And I just, uh, I don't know, 10 times in five years really thought about why am I doing this? It's twice a year. I mean, that's not insignificant. No. And and a couple fairly deep depressions that I went in. And, uh, so the idea that this is all fun and games, it's, 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 it's really difficult physically, mentally, and, uh, you know, if you talk to restaurant owners, they're going to tell you, don't, own a, don't open a restaurant. Yeah. If you enjoy cooking, just cook at home. Every single <laughs> restaurant owner will tell you, yeah. don't do it. Yeah. But brewers, we don't say that enough. You know, I'm telling, telling you, if you like home brewing, don't open a brewery, it, you know, unless you're in a small town and there is a little place you can open up to just take care of your local community. That's fine, but if you're opening up in a town that's already got 30 breweries, I mean, what are you going to bring? Or one
0: across the street, yeah.
1: It's just, it's, it's so overcrowded, it's so oversaturated that, that craft, the, the oversaturation is really what's driving a lot of the problems with craft beer right now.
0: That's twice that you've mentioned this now, the direction of craft beer and then the, the, the problem with craft beer right now. You have a platform, what, what in your mind is wrong with the industry right now, or the problem with the industry right now?
1: Well, I mean, it's all based on oversaturation, where there's more breweries than there are people who like craft beer. And so what they've had to do is, one, try to stand out by doing wacky, gimmicky things. Like, look at me, look at me. I threw breakfast cereal in my beer. It's like, yeah, you and everybody else. It's so tired. You know, even the gimmicks are tired. And then there's not that many people who really, there's not enough craft beer drinkers who really love beer to go around. So we start making beer for people who don't even like beer. We make beer for people who like juice. We mm-hmm. make people who like uh, candy bars. You know, the whole thing is trying to get more people in because there's so many breweries that there's not enough people to go around. So we try to make beer for people who don't like beer. And, you know, that it seems to be, some of the most if, if it's not all breweries are doing this but it's enough where they are very vocal and that's what you see on Instagram and, and things like that are just these really terrible beers with like fish in it or you know old bay seasoning or just whatever you know yeah and um, it's just it's a bad direction it's a race to the bottom for craft beer and um, the main problem with that is just there's too many breweries um, so that's my main, my main beef. I don't really, I, you know, people say I hate on hazy IPAs or, or something like that, but I, I, hazy IPAs are fine. I, I just don't like the myopic, uh, drinkers who only drink hazy IPA. That's all they ever drink. And and there's so many, I mean, I, I'm a, I've been brewing since 1986 and, uh, uh, just a fan of world craft, you know, world styles of beer. And they're they're all completely ignored. I mean, the, the most radical thing you could do right now is make a brown ale. Yeah, you know, did, an unadorned brown ale, not just, a brown just, ale just with a, like chocolate. Classic there. brown yeah. ale, and uh, the the you know the public doesn't want that. They'd be like, ugh. but every brewer I know, is yeah, like, I, w- I, w- I, I want I that. want that. Yeah, yeah. We're all nostalgic for when beer tasted like beer. I've got a a, a vintage IPA on which is part of this uh, box set that we're going to talk about. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's a basically a tribute or a, an homage to Anchor Liberty Ale. Okay. It's, so, so it it's
0: says West Coast 19, 1974.
1: 1974. Um, huh. Because that's the, the, rebirth, that's the birth of, of uh, IPA in America. Yeah. And, um, and every burr I give it to is like, oh, my God, this is so amazing. I'm like, it's just pale malt and cascade hops. They're like, <laughs> but it's just what I want, you know? And so, yeah, the, the sad thing is, you know, I, I know so many brewers and almost all of them were making stuff we don't like, you know, and that's a big change. Five years ago, even. Have you th- done
0: that here? Have you made a beer that have you made a style that you don't like or have you made something that like you knew going into it was going to break your soul a little bit?
1: No, not really. Okay. I mean, I, I have a series of stouts called uh, Me and the Devil. Okay. And it, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a joke on me selling my soul. Okay. And we dedicate it to other people who have so- sold their soul. So, uh, you know, the first one was uh, Robert Johnson, uh, the blues guy who sold his soul. to uh-huh. yeah. and the, Uh, second one was for Walt Dickinson from wicked weed. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, 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 the third one is, was for me. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of ballsy just given, you know, the team of lawyers that they have behind them these days. But yeah. Yeah. Bring it on. <laughs> You know, uh, the intellectual property theft is another big problem with craft it's beer. A shu- it's a it's
0: yeah, it's and it's that's the one that I can't get past. Like, if you want to put 13 pounds, you know, per barrel of you know fluff or nutter, y- yeah, or yeah, whatever, in your beer, like go for it. But it's it's the intellectual threat uh, property theft that just absolutely kills me. And the it's small lazy. brewers that are doing it and saying, you know, oh, we're so small, nobody's going to pay attention to us. And there's that story. I think it was a brewery in Wisconsin that got sued by Hershey because they were calling it like Milk Dud you know, Porter or something like that and using the Milk Dud's logo. Right. And they're like, why are they doing this? It's like, because they're a billion dollar company that's trying to protect their trademarks. Yeah, their trademarks. Yeah. Like, like, why did you do it? Yeah, it's, uh, it, yeah that's and the it's larger. And it's not creative. Yeah. You're just
1: stealing you know, so that's what a lot of breweries are. They're all making the same beer that they're stealing the idea from somebody else using somebody else's artwork. It's just the opposite of what craft beer should be. You know, it should be creative brewers making, following their own vision of what they want to bring about in the world. But instead, everybody's just aping what sells for other people and, and they're not even doing their own artwork or names. It's all just pretty sad. I,
0: I imagine that there would be brewers that argue that their creativity comes from double dry hop, citra mosaic, whatever.
1: I, but I, how's it creative if it's the same thing that everybody else is doing? Okay. No, I, 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 I'm I'm just throwing out a
0: devil's advocate. I, I you know, I don't I, I don't have the answers to these things. I'm just here to you know. I mean creativity to me means away.
1: coming up with your own ideas. If, you know, if, yeah. if you're a musician and you're, I mean, I'm in a cover band, uh, uh and who,
0: who are you covering?
1: We do all kinds of classic rock okay. stuff, but I don't consider it creative, right? I consider say it musical, yeah. but I, there's no creativity. I, I'm playing other people's music. Yeah. So I don't, I have my own, you're not
0: rewriting the, the melodies. You're not no, uh, reworking I, I the lyrics. I have my own of, side yeah.
1: project I do, which is hundred percent my musical vision and endeavor. But the, the the classic rock stuff—it is not creative at all, and I'm not trying to pretend it's creative. And these brewers who are just making the same beers that everybody else is making—they um, should not think that they are creative either. They're just aping uh, stuff that other people have already done, and it's boring. And uh, you know, and the, but the the thing that the if you, the devil's advocate would yeah. say, well, it's a business, and you got to make money, right? Sure.
0: But that's if you have multiple employees and big rent, and right. you have a robust ten-year plan that you're hoping to break within five or yeah, right. Where, where do you look for creativity? How how, how do you impart creativity into your beers?
1: Um, you know, for one, I I, I just mine the vast wealth of of craft styles that are already out there that everyone's ignoring um historical styles um i get a lot of inspiration uh from from chefs okay you know if i if i need an idea i'll uh you know just watch a couple hours of some street food videos from indonesia you know on youtube and just all of a sudden i'll be like ooh, that that might work, you know. Maybe we'll do a, a Chiang Mai farmhouse ale, you know, a, a saison based on uh, the ingredients you would find in Thailand, you know. And it's, or, you know, I had the idea years ago, back when I was working at Greenman, of this idea of a uh, of a movable farmhouse brewery that would be picked up a la uh, Wizard of Oz style, okay. and plopped down in different parts of the world and then you're forced to, uh, to, to brew a farmhouse beer using whatever you can find in that location. I got the idea watching the extended version of Apocalypse Now. Okay. And there's a scene in there. I mean, this is an yeah. example of being inspired by things other than what other brewers are doing. I'm inspired by movies. Yeah. I'm inspired by, by chefs. And so in, this, uh, in Apocalypse Now, they are traveling upriver through Vietnam, and they come upon this little French enclave of French people, because, you know, the French were there colonizing before we tried to go in. And uh, there's these French people living in the middle of the Vietnamese jungle and they're baking French bread and they're trying to keep their, you know, keep their, their cuisine going using what they can find in the jungle. And that kind of got me an idea of like, what if they were Belgians and what if they're trying to brew in the middle of the jungle? Yeah. And so that, the first time we, we played around was that was uh, the first collab we did with uh, Burial when I was working with Green man, and we did a uh, did a Vietnamese or Thai uh, farmhouse ale with like kaffir lime leaves and uh, ginger and lemongrass and that kind of stuff. So that's just an example of you know where you can look to get inspiration.
0: so I, I, I'm not looking for you to be judge jury and executioner here because you know, but you are a thoughtful guy and you are a thoughtful brewer. and i'm'm I'm, so if if it's a matter of okay, I'm thinking about Indonesian street food and here are some of the flavors and how can I impart that into a beer. If a hazy IPA brewer said, okay, I really love blueberry cereal. What are the flavors of that? And then deconstructed it and found other ways to impart the flavors of that particular breakfast cereal into their beers. Would that sort of fall into a creative realm in the same way?
1: Yeah, I would not have a problem with that at all. If okay. you are emulating, trying to get some flavor from your childhood yeah. by using your skills, your craft, and natural ingredients, I don't have a problem with it. I have a problem with people throwing a pallet load of blueberry cereal. Oh, yeah. No, that's pull, just cheating. Yeah, it's, just it's, pulling the dump you know, truck
0: up to the General Mills factory
1: and being yeah. like, fill it up. It's going in the mash. No, yeah, I'm very intrigued by beer being able to. Trigger memories, yeah. Uh, I think I think that's very intriguing, but I just don't want to do it by being blatantly obvious with what you do. There's no skill in that. There's no talent. When you so
0: that's the other fun thing, right? Uh, uh, A flavors triggering memory, and I'm always not always disappointed, but I, I when somebody tells me exactly what's in there, like oh, this is our peanut butter cup stout, or you know, whatever it is where there's no guesswork involved, you know, like you can't have that brain exploration because you read the can and it says, you know, here's what this is mm-hmm. uh, it, immediately. Like there, there's no gratification that comes with solving the puzzle or letting your mind wander a little bit. And it's one of the reasons I like doing the, the, you know, the other podcast steal this beer where we don't know what we're drinking um, or even when I'm doing blind reviews, you know, because like I can really spend some time trying to, to, to tease it out. Is that a conversation that you like having with drinkers of try this, I'm not going to tell you what's in it, see where it goes? Or is that not something – is that that not as much fun?
1: No, I mean that's okay. It's just on on all of our bottles, we list everything that's in the – That goes into it, ingredient wise. Okay. So it's I don't you know it'd be different. Like we we did a series uh, called Mexicana one through three, and they were all uh, beers inspired by the the Mexican cuisine of different regions of Mexico. So you know we had like a Oaxacan uh, uh, dark saison with burnt tortillas, okay, uh, cocoa nibs, and like pasilla chilies, and but it was all very subtle. You know, it wasn't just in your face. It wasn't like I was throwing chimichangas <laughs> into the mash. Yeah. You know, this is me trying to make a delicate, interesting beer that's very complex that makes you think, you know what? I'm thinking of mole sauce. Yeah. You know, I don't but I don't specifically spell it out. OK. But, uh, you know, then we did a, a northern one with uh, tomatillos uh, and, and uh, roasted serranos doing kind of a chili verde Salsa Verde type thing too. How'd
0: you compensate for the acidity in the tomatillos?
1: Um, it they, wasn't they, they didn't come across really that okay. acidic. But see, that's an example of using real ingredients to get uh, yeah. the, the, the end result, not just going straight for throwing actual food product in. Because, I mean, the FDA hammer is, is coming down. You know, when people start throwing fried chicken and and hamburgers and things like that. The, the FDA is going to require yeah. uh, nutritional labeling on that. Oh, and yeah. I just don't, I think we are better off monitoring that ourselves. We do not want to get the government involved in it. And I think I'm going to be pissed off at the, these brewers who are going to end up bringing the FDA down on us. Cause right now we're an agriculture pro, uh, agricultural product. We are flying under the radar yeah. for the most part. And, and if all of a sudden the inspection starts coming down on us really hard, we're going to all regret letting these brewers do stupid shit like throw fried
0: chicken in their beer. More with Mike in a moment, but first, a word from the companies and organizations that help support this work. Please give them a closer look. Brees is the original craft maltster and currently offers the broadest product line in the industry. Brees' barley is grown in the Bighorn Basin of Wyoming and Montana, where warm days, cool nights, and floodwater irrigation yield some of the highest quality barley in the U.S. And if you're thinking about beer competitions and the newly announced New Zealand Pale Ale and New Zealand IPA categories, visit NZ Hops online at nzhops.co.nz or find them on social media. There you'll learn about varieties bursting with white wine, stone fruit, tropical fruit aromas, and more. Hops from New Zealand are unlike any others found on the globe. Discover them today. And now, back to Mike Karnowski of Zebulon Artisan Ales in Weaverville, North Carolina. Last week on this podcast, which I, I, I didn't know you had this on tap, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious about it. Uh, we started talking about uh, should beer styles be date-coded? And uh, I was with Don Tess, the Canadian writer, and M. Souter, the, the cartoonist and writer. And and we were talking about just the nature of how beers have changed and how it's tough to, you know, you walk into a brewery these days and, you know, an IPA could mean one of any thousand things. Uh-huh. Um, Fruited sour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here's our pastry stout. It's got hops. It's an IPA. Yeah. Um, but that you're dating a date and place for this vintage IPA really speaks to, 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 to what we were talking about. And I guess also with this historical project that you're doing, that beer styles do live within certain periods and certain certain dates and evolution happens oh, and, sure, and, sure. And, and, and things change. When you're creating something like a 1974 West Coast IPA,
1: where did your research start? Well the the 1974 West Coast is an homage uh, to uh, Anchor Liberty, owned. yeah. Um, and uh, you know, it doesn't take much research to find out it's pale, you know, That's pale right, malt what, yeah. and cascade hops. And I know the the original gravity. I know the IBUs. It's pretty easy to to, to figure that out.
0: But I mean, I, I don't know how much Liberty has changed over the years, or if it has at all.
1: Well, I I I was uh, using their Description and recipe from those from, days. Okay, like we're the 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 one that's after that is a West Coast 1994. Okay, which is a Pliny the Elder uh, homage clone. Whatever. I mean, I hate to say clone, um, but it's based on. And and that's a beer that's changed a lot too. Yeah. So, but I went for Vinny's actual his recipe from 1994 that he published. Uh, I'm not trying to copy. Uh, Pliny now, trying no. to show what the, the evolution of IPA and what the big deal was when Pliny came out in 94.
0: As somebody who brews beers from periods of time, let's talk about IPA for a second. How, how have you seen in what you've brewed and what you've tasted? Um, did, did you, have you done something before 74?
1: Well, we're doing a six-pack. Okay. And so it's starting off with an IPA from around 1840. Okay. And the, the, the first four are all Ron Pattinson recipes. Um, so, the, the, yeah, the IPA started in, you know, the seven, late, mid to late 1700s, and uh, they were always barrel-aged for a full year before they were even put on, on the ship to go. So they'd be a year and a half old by the time they made it to India. Um, so very unlike a modern IPA. And, they're, they're, you know, it's aged with Britannomyces in the oak barrel for a full year. It's a huge amount of hops, 160 IBUs of Goldings. <laughs> wow. All right. And um, so it, it, it's, that's how IPA starts off. And it's fun to have something that intense and that crazy. It's, it's almost hard to wrap your, your modern beer drinking mind around, you know, th- this style of beer. It's so challenging and so interesting and so anti-modern. And then we're going to follow it as uh, as the world changes, you know, through world wars, uh, through inventions of different malts and, and laws that were passed. Like in England in uh, 1880, they passed the uh, Free Mash Mashton Act, which before that you had it was only malt. You're only allowed to use malt. Uh, and after 1880, they were allowed to use, you know, flaked corn, flaked barley. They were, uh, 1840, they were allowed to use sugars. So a, lot of, you know, so, so a beer, like an IPA, changes every time one of these things happens. So a lot of the fun of, of drinking along with, say, Ron Pattinson giving a lecture, is you have in one hand a pre-World War I IPA, and your other hand, you've got a post-World War One IPA, and you can literally taste the difference uh, from the same brewery. Yeah. And, and it's just such a fun way to, to learn history and to see how styles evolve. Because like you were saying, if somebody wants to know what was an old porter like, yeah. you got like, well, what what are you talking about? You're talking 1700s, 1800s, 1850s, yeah. 1900s, 1950s. They're all very different from one another. Yeah. Um, but that's, I think, the fun uh, is, is learning about that. Uh, it's sad to me that when you, you look on social media and people who are trying to educate people about beer are really mocked and looked down on. I mean, you've seen the, the, the memes, yeah. you know, what's the worst possible the, the way of catching COVID or something, or the, the, the least way is to start talking about the history of IPA because they turn away and walk off. And I mean, yeah. it wasn't that long. It was like five years ago, where brewers were literally talking about educating the public? Yeah. But now the public does, hates to be educated. They do not want to, to to be schooled or to be educated on the history of beer, uh, on the different styles. And uh, but it's
0: hard though I, to 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 do that because. It, for the twenty-plus years that I've been drinking now, like I came up on Sierra Pale and you know some of the other you know like, like Fuller's ESB and you know things like where I've I've been able to see the evolution of the last twenty years and and taste the evolution. So now when I talk to twenty-one-year-olds who only understand tropical juice haze, you know like they don't understand bitterness, and it's a tough thing. I mean, you can still go buy Sierra Pale, but it's a tough thing to sort of convince them to go backwards you know, to, 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 to do, which is why I like this project that you're doing, because you can actually taste through the decades and taste of the time and actually see the evolution. But I, yeah, I,
1: th-
0: the education component has just gotten so much more difficult in the last couple of years. And I don't,
1: yeah, it's almost like an, it's, it's going along with like anti-intellectualism, you know, where, the, and I can understand people just like, I like what I like and I don't, you know, you don't need to tell me about it. Don't. And, uh, I don't know. I, just, I, th- I think you're missing out on a lot of the history of beer, the, the, the old styles. The it, It's a world of beer out there. And just to see it all focused on hazy IPAs and pastry stouts, it's just sad, you know, um, at least to me. Sure. But if people enjoy it, they enjoy it. What do, what do I care? I mean, I, I really, I'm not, I know it comes across like I'm, I'm, sh- Can I say? Sure. Yeah, no, you can. I'm not shitting on breweries that uh, are are doing that if that's what they really enjoy or if they have a lot of employees and they need to to pay those employees and that's what they need to do. They need to sell what sells. But we can I think we can all agree as beer lovers that it's just seeing a small sliver of the, the entire beer world and the beer culture that exists out there. And, you know, you see it with with untapped ratings, you know, Pilsner. Yeah, it's a it's a logger. I don't like loggers. Two stars. Well, whatever. and that subtlety sort of- and, and finesse just do, don't seem to exist anymore.
0: No. And that's where a lot of the education comes from. If somebody walks in and they're looking at the board and then they're looking at your phone and then they're looking at the board and they're like, oh, you know, a Keller Pills only has you know, two stars because, you know. The, the Wicked Weed scent just came through or whatever, you know, it, it's that's gonna influence their decision as opposed to just, you know, being experimental and being, you know, adventurous. Um, I mean, that that was, when I first started drinking, like that was sort of the fun thing, was going to bottle shops and just, you know, picking up bombers and not knowing anything about them and being like, let's open it and take some notes and find out what it was. And it was a, you know, Russian roulette of, of sorts of, you know, sometimes you got something that was really terrible to to your palate but you still got to taste it as well here i I don't even know if drinkers have the chance to do that
1: yeah i i think untapped has been really bad for craft beer um I, I, it's just, it, I have not yet met
0: a brewer who's like, I think it's the best thing that's happened. I think it's been a game changer for the positive. I've not met a single brewer who has said that. It's, I don't.
1: I, yeah. I, I don't look at it. I, years and years <laughs> go by. I, I pay no attention to it. People come in like, I, is this the the beer that's on untapped? tap? I'm like, I don't know. I don't. <laughs> Maybe. Please don't review it. I don't care. <laughs> it's just you know. And, and do
0: you want people to review your beers? Do you want people to? Um, you want people to taste it, but and drink it obviously
1: yeah i mean they can review it if they want it's just but i I think untapped works as a record keeping device of beers you have had yeah for your own personal use you can go back and find out but it's become this thing where you know bottle shops won't buy a beer if it's only got like two ratings of of you know, two stars, but the people might not have even liked that style. It doesn't mean it's not a fantastic beer, but they'll be like, oh, you know, there's only two reviews, it's two stars, it's probably not going to sell well.
0: And that's where the beer buyers are getting their information from as well. And it's Yeah, yeah, it's the snake eating its tail kind of thing. I I, want to get back to historical styles because we can beat up on Untapped all day long, but um, uh, it's fun. But uh, when you chart the way that IPA flavors have evolved and I'll, I'll use that word evolution, but um, is it brewer preferences? Is it consumer preferences? Is it advancements in technology and ingredients methods combination of all of it? Is there, as you think about like what has led to IPAs being what they are now versus 94 versus 74 versus the 1800s, what has helped or created that change?
1: Well, you know, the new hop varieties uh, were a big part of it. I think if we didn't have New Zealand hops or these tropical hops, and we were all still using, you know, piney citrus, then I don't know if, uh, if, if the hazy fad would have taken over quite so much. Because I don't think that would, that hazy wouldn't work so much with just a big pine note. It's all about trying to make it like juice. Um, and uh, whether that's for the drinkers or for the brewers, um, I, I, I think there's definitely a movement towards sweetness. And you see it in a lot of things you see it in winemaking winemakers are are complaining that uh, you know they just want these big juicy sweet uh, the 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 consumers just want these big like you know apothic red or these terrible wines are just so sweet and fat um you see it in in food you know this this uh, and, and maybe, you know, maybe it's Freudian or, or, or Jungian, you know, maybe it's it's a reversion to our childhoods. Yeah. You know, maybe we're all so stressed out and we all want to go back, uh, to back to the womb, so to speak. But, we're, you know, we're, uh, with, with the breakfast cereals and all that stuff, it does seem very childlike, you know, that maybe psychologically you could just explain it that we're reverting back to simpler times and simpler uh, flavors. Because, you know, bitterness is a very adult. Uh, yeah. Flavor. Yes. And um, it takes time. It takes, you have to be, become
0: acclimated to right. it. Right. You yeah. Know, or accepting of it.
1: And so, so maybe if bitterness is being pushed away, we're pushing away, you know, adulthood in some sort of fashion. But, you know, I, I was listening to, I, um, I think it was, it was Ron or Martin Cornell talking about the invention of glass, cheap glassware uh, in in the, the mid uh, 1800s and how that really, Pushed the, um, the, the light lagers, the light, clear beers that were becoming really popular at that yeah. time. Um, and before that, you know, people were using just stone mugs and nobody could see what you were drinking. Yeah. All of a sudden, people could see what you were drinking and you wanted them to see that you were drinking the new hip stuff. Yeah. And I think that happened with Instagram. I think all of a sudden everybody can see what you're drinking, and you want to be showing them that you're drinking this new hip hazy. I don't think I don't think with, without Instagram, hazy IPAs would have taken off yeah. as much as they had. It's, it's I've really heard Garrett a- Oliver say the same thing. Yeah, it's
0: yeah, I agree with that. It's it's become such the visual medium, and people. I mean, you must see it when people roll up in here, and they're the first thing they're doing is taking out their phones to take a picture of the beer.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Even before they taste it, probably.
1: I just try not to pay, pay attention to that. It's really that, that, you know if people want to do that, it's fine. I'm not. I don't think they should. It's up to me to tell them not to do it. But I, you know, I'm I'm old school. I think beer is meant to be just enjoyed. Yeah. And not overly thought about. Not overly documented. Um. But uh, you know, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> I mean, that's the beauty of being so tiny like this. All yeah. I need is 1% of the beer drinking population to, to be fine. Yeah. And I've got that. I mean, we're packed in here every every day we're open. So I can't complain. It's not like I'm complaining because nobody's showing up here yeah. to drink my, you know.
0: Yeah, you're not sitting stuff. here alone just cursing the wind. No. Yeah.
1: Um, and I make hazy IPA sometimes because uh, I don't. I'm not against them, um, and they're they're kind of fun to make. I'm, what's
0: I, what's your approach when you're making a hazy IPA?
1: You know, I don't I don't overcomplicate it. I remember you know seven eight years ago when it first started coming out, I did a a, a little uh, lecture for the local homebrew club on how to brew hazy IPAs because they are brand new. Yeah, this is back when they were throwing you know apple puree and stuff in it to get the haze I, and I, flour. I, in I, the I remember flour. I don't remember apple puree. That's yeah, the, yeah. It was something to get the, 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 the polyphenols and the tannins out of the apple. Um, but <laughs> I realize that, I mean, that's completely unnecessary. It's the yeah. hop polyphenols that come out of solution that give you the haze. So yeah. all I do is I just make hundred percent Maris Otter base malt and then uh, no hops throughout the boil. And then when I turn the heat off, I throw uh, three pounds per barrel. If you're a home brewer, it's half a pound for a, a, a six-gallon batch uh, at Whirlpool. And then for dry hop, I throw another half a pound per five gallons of dry hops in there. And, uh, I mean, it ends up just I mean, completely murky and hazy. And But it's very simple. Uh, there's, there's no real secrets to making hazy IPA. I think for a while it was very mysterious. And, oh, my God, this, you've got to be a great brewer to make a hazy— it's so easy, and so I don't. I don't see. Brewers should not be patting themselves on the back for making a hazy IPA. It's it's one of the simplest beers to make. Is there, it all depends if you have a good hop contract.
0: Uh, yeah, well, that's that's probably key. Um, what's the mark of a good beer for you that you've made? You know, I, I by and large brewers are a lot like writers, where we're never actually, you know always happy with what we do and we're our own toughest critics. Have there been beers that you've made over the years that you've been like, this is exactly what I want it to be. And you could go to sleep happy that night.
1: Uh, Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, you know, just most of the pale ales, uh, stouts, porters, just the regular beer styles we have on, I think are delicious and Almost perfect, and uh, I'd be happy drinking those without thinking about them too much. But often, you know, I don't drink a lot of my own beer, um, at least not while it, you know, I, I taste it and I sample it the whole time while I'm brewing it and bottling it and then make sure it's good in the bottles to be released. But then after that, I don't really think about it that much. I might go back every, you know, six months and open one up just to see how it's aging. Yeah. But I try to tell people it's like, you know, David Lynch doesn't go back and watch his old movies. Yeah. You know, N- Neil Young isn't going back and listening to his old albums for one, because you just can't enjoy it. Yeah. You know, you put so much of yourself into it. You're, uh, that, that just The only thing you're going to be able to do is look for bad things in it. And that's no way to enjoy a beer. It's just looking for faults, wishing you had done something maybe a little different, or maybe it, this hop would be better than that hop. And it's just no fun. That's not, good beer drinking for me is just analyzation, analyzation uh, and hypercritic, uh, hypercritical about things. So I don't, I don't really drink a lot of my beer. I mean, I make a, a pilsner for the local bar here called the whale. Okay. And it's just a beautiful, you know, German style pilsner. And I always try to keep a keg of that at my house cause I can, I can drink it it's it's uh, doesn't require thinking. Yeah. You know, I might be like, "Uh oh, maybe some halata instead of the tantaing or something." But but it doesn't stop me from just being able to sit there and and yeah, drink you can a couple think, half liters and enjoying it. That sounds about right.
0: Um, do you have a good chiropractor?
1: Dude, I'm I'm I've got an appointment uh, coming up. My back is fucked.
0: <laughs> when you have homebrewers that you talk to who come in Uh, and even back, you know, in the, in, in, in the, in the day, the physical toll of this job does not get talked about nearly enough. And I've told the story in the past where, um, after AB bought goose, uh, I was out uh, with one of their brewers and it was about a year after the sale. And I said, well, what's the biggest difference? You know, like, and don't give me that whole, you know, bullshit. Everything's the same in corporate kind of thing. And he says, my back doesn't hurt anymore. And I said, what does that mean? And he said, well, you know, we had these three steps where we had to carry, you know, the 50-pound Saxa, uh, you know, whatever, um, you know, up to the brew deck. AB came in with their efficiency experts. They saw what we were happening. And now I have, like, a pallet jack that, you know, gets it up there for me so my back doesn't hurt anymore. And, like, that was his biggest thing. He was like, I'm going home happier. I'm feeling good. And I was like, all right. Like, that's,
1: that's a net positive.
0: But there's a physical toll.
1: Yeah, it's it, it's really a young man's game for sure. Uh, I mean, I'm 54, and I I gotta start thinking about some sort of ex, exit strategy, or you know, getting somebody in here uh, to 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 uh, be an assistant brewer because it's you don't see now that you've said this
0: on the radio, man. You're gonna start getting resumes and you know flowers in the mail. Yeah,
1: I mean, the trouble is, I want to pay somebody well. Okay. You know, I don't. I that's a, that's the that's the other important thing that people don't talk about. Getting somebody yeah. 12 bucks an hour to to do stuff. I mean, we even pay our bartenders like 20 bucks an hour plus tips, you know, just because we want somebody good. We want somebody who knows the beer. So we're willing to pay. And I would want to, yeah. to have a good uh, brewer and I'd want to pay him, you know, 30, 40 grand. And there's just that money isn't here in this yeah. little brewery to, to, to make that happen. So I don't know what I'm going to do. But, uh, yeah, you don't see 60 year 60 year old guys up on the brew deck. You know, not in a small brewery like this where you're all, you know, there's no, there's no mechanization going on here. Yeah.
0: Those four steps are, those can be brutal. That can be Everest.
1: But, you know, to tell you the truth, I never throw out my back or hurt myself actually working at the brewery. I'm sure I'm damaging it. (laughs) And then I always, I always throw it out, you know, sneezing or picking up a sock (laughs) off the bathroom floor or something. But it's, it's because my, my body's so just, you know, out of whack and destroyed from, from brewing that, that these little things throw it out. But it's probably because, you know, when I'm at work, I'm consciously, you know, lifting with my legs. I'm consciously, you know, standing up straight when I'm going to do something. And then when I get home, I'm more just kind of like, do-do-do, and that's when you mess things up. So, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what the future holds. Like Jim Morrison said, the, the future's uncertain. The end is always near. I think that's a good place to leave it. Thanks. Okay. Thanks, John.
0: Yeah, appreciate it. My thanks to Mike for the hospitality and the history lesson. As promised, if you'd like a chance to taste some history, he'll be releasing a box set of six 500-milliliter bottles following the evolution of IPA from 1800 to 2000. It's a companion for an upcoming streaming lecture featuring Ron Pattinson and Mitch Steele. The beer is going to be available at the beginning of July, and you can follow the brewery's social media. You should be already, but follow their channels and check their pages for release info. And speaking of cool things, you should also check out the This Week in Rauch Beer page on Facebook and our handles on Twitter and Instagram, as well as Defend Pilsner. It now has its own pages on as well, and you can get to them through beeredge.com. If you have suggestions and there's been some cool ones that have come in lately so thanks for that you can email me at john hall it's j-o-h-n-h-o-l-l at beeredge.com or you can talk to me on twitter at john underscore hall and please make sure you're subscribed to the show and leave a review if you're so inclined if you'd like to learn about advertising and supporting independent journalism please contact liz melby she's on email at liz at beeredge.com and speaking of that NZ Hops is a proud sponsor of Drink Beer, Think Beer. Harvest has officially ended in New Zealand, and there are exciting hops to choose from, including Nelson Savin, Montaweka, Ruaka, and the newest hop in the lineup, Nectaron. The white wine, stone fruit, and tropical fruit notes layered with pine, citrus, and herbal notes offer a range of flavors unlike any other growing region in the world. Learn more about what they can do for your beers by visiting nzhops.co.nz, we finding NZ Hops on social media. We're also brought to you by Brees Malting. Brees has been malting barley for 145 years and the fifth generation of family ownership is currently leading the company, but the values have always remained the same, producing the highest quality, most consistent malt and working directly with their customers to help them succeed. From pilsners to porters and everything in between, Brees offers the finest handcrafted malts, extracts, and adjuncts to help you brew the perfect beer. Visit Brees.com or visit their social media channels to see and to learn more. This show is made possible by their support, and I really hope that you will give them a closer look. Be sure to listen in to Steal This Beer every Monday, the BYO Nano podcast on the 15th of every month, and the Beer Edge podcast with Andy Crouch. Nate Weber provided the theme music. Jeff Quinn made our logo. Remember to defend Pilsner. I'm John Hall, recording again this week from North Carolina. New episodes of this show release every Wednesday. And that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer.